0: I'm Bob Schieffer. And I'm Andrew Schwartz of the Center for Strategic and International Studies, and this is the Truth of the Matter. This is the podcast where we break down the policy issues of the day. Since the politicians are having their say, we will excuse them with respect and bring in the experts, many of them from CSIS, people who have been working these issues for years. No spin, no bombast, no finger pointing, just informed discussion. In today's episode of The Truth of the Matter, I'm flying solo as Bob Schiefer is out of town. To get to the truth of the matter about how deforestation in the Amazon basin is linked to weak governance, insecurity, and conflict, and inadequate infrastructure planning in the Amazon region, I have here today with me Romina Bandura, who is the author of a new report that talks about the current conversation about the Amazon's future and how it's narrowly focused on the trade-offs between environmental conservation and economic development. Romina, can you tell us about your new report, Sustainable Infrastructure in the Amazon? What are some of the key findings you want readers to take away from the report and why did you decide to do this report in the first place?
1: Thank you, Andrew, for having me. It's a pleasure to be recording this uh, podcast with you. We've conducted um, a year-long research project exploring how deforestation in the Amazon is linked to structural vulnerabilities in the region, as you mentioned, weak governance, insecurity and conflict, and inadequate infrastructure planning in the regions, uh, which reveal that These are some of the main drivers of deforestation in the region. And uh, we are concerned that currently the discussion on, on the Amazon, as you pointed out, is very narrowly focused just on the environmental phenomenon. But behind that environmental phenomenon, that degradation that is happening, there are many other issues that people might not know about. And again, Insecurity, weak economic opportunities for people, weak governance. And so all these elements make deforestation to happen. The current conversation about the Amazon, as you rightly describe, is narrowly focused on trade-offs. So between environmental conservation and economic development. So they treat development of the Amazon as a zero-sum game. That is, if we conserve the environment, We lose out on economic growth and we shouldn't be looking at the Amazon that way. Our report has certain uh, visions of how the Amazon can be developed in a more sustainable uh, way in the future.
0: So your report is also accompanied by three country case studies, and that's Brazil, Peru and Colombia. How do these countries differ in their approaches to the Amazon Basin?
1: So among these three countries uh, Brazil holds most of the Amazon in the in the region in terms of area so 60% of the Amazon is located in Brazil and then another let's say 10 to 15 is uh, in Colombia and Peru. We chose these three countries since first of all as I just mentioned among the three of them they hold more than 80% of the Amazon there are another five countries that have, you know, Amazon rainforest. So, you know, think about Venezuela, Bolivia, etc. But uh, we focused on only these three countries because of the coverage. They are the most important economic sources. So the, the, their economies are the, are the biggest in the Amazon. And also, these are countries that have taken steps in order to address the issue of deforestation and they have been doing a lot of infrastructure projects. However, as you pose the question, these countries have different views of the Amazon. Unfortunately, today there's not a unified vision for the development of, of the Amazon. So, for example, Colombia I think out of the three, has taken much more sustainable development, multi-dimensional approach, meaning that they look at the Amazon not just as an environmental basin, but also the need to strengthen economic opportunities, security, and governance. So I think out of the three countries, there uh, the ones that are more, let's say, advanced, you know, in the view of the Amazon. Um, Brazil has a lot of interests behind the soy and agricultural and cattle raising activities. So it's a little bit harder for them to come up with a more unified vision. But I think, you know, there are efforts to have a more positive outcome uh, for the future. In terms of Peru, they launched a new vision for the country for the next uh, 20 years And they are also trying to align more of their activities towards sustainable development. That means development that takes into account the environment and also social aspects.
0: What exactly does sustainable infrastructure mean in the context of the Amazon? And how can it be executed in practice?
1: So sustainable infrastructure or quality infrastructure, these are terms that have been developed in the last maybe 10 years, mainly by development banks, multilateral development banks, such as uh, the World Bank, the Inter-American Development Bank, and for us, such as the OECD, G20. Basically, um, sustainable infrastructure looks at infrastructure, not just from the economic return, um, so, are we going to construct a bridge that is profitable? But also, how are we going to do it? Is it going to take into account institutional aspects, you know, such as planning, procurement, corruption? Is it going to look at the impacts that infrastructure um, is creating? So, you know, the environmental impacts, is it going to take into account social impacts and Are we going to involve communities in the planning of that infrastructure? And so it's basically looking at, it's planning infrastructure in better ways, uh, more sustainable, more, uh, you know, taking into account all these factors, economics, institutional, social, and environment into account. So that's basically like the overarching uh, definition. But of course, each of these, Organizations has a different approach. And you're right. uh, One of the issues is I think there are like 30 of these frameworks out there. The challenge is which framework do we follow? And what set of indicators do we use to really gauge that we are following a sustainable infrastructure process? So I I think that's Sustainable Infrastructure 2.0 Uh, going from, you know, these big frameworks into uh, more of like implementation and I would say harmonization. You know, I don't see why not these development banks and others can come up with an umbrella of a framework with key indicators. And, you know, the IDB is convening and is looking into that and I think they're making a lot of progress.
0: So Romina, what role do Indigenous communities and other local populations have to play in sustainable infrastructure development.
1: These communities have been inhabiting the forest for a long time. They know the forest. They know the issues that are taking place, and there's been many studies that show that these communities, you know, there's less deforestation around the, the areas where these communities uh, live. So they know the challenges. I think that they need to be incorporated into the planning processes, not just infrastructure, but overall, you know, the basics planning, because just to hear what they need, you know, a lot of these communities, as the COVID-19 pandemic has shown, they lack education, they lack healthcare services, they lack technology, um, you know, IT that could be really useful for them. And instead, you know, countries are providing hydroelectric dams or big highways that might not be the most adequate infrastructure for these communities. And also the other side is that um, a lot of indigenous communities and in general, communities around these infrastructure projects have been really affected, mostly negative by the destruction of, of the forest. So we need to do a better job of including them And and the third pillar is security. Our report has a whole chapter on insecurity issues in the Amazon. And they see firsthand the problems uh, with illegal activities such as uh, illegal gold mining, cocaine production, illegal logging. You have also a lot of um, human trafficking and trafficking of species, flora, fauna, fauna. And they could be really partners with security forces in, you know, in helping to stabilize the region. Let
0: me ask you this, Ramina. How can strengthening governance in the Amazon improve the insecurity its residents face? And what levels of government should be prioritized? What measures have been successful so far?
1: That's a great question, Andrew. So by governance, we mean, you know, different things. So, One of the main issues is um, inadequate land registries and titling um, in the Amazon. So, you know, there are lots of large areas in the Amazon that are like no man's land. So a lot of colonizers or these illegal groups and mafias just land grab, right? So they take the land. Local governments sometimes don't have the capacity to be enforcing any of the laws or, you know, there's not adequate titling processes.
0: So are these, are these drug cartels or?
1: Yeah. And, you know, uh, drug cartels have also morphed into sort of conglomerates. So they are also involved with the price of gold so high, they've been also like branching out to other activities. So, you know, illegal and informal gold mining in the Amazon is a big business. So that's one thing, and of course that degrades water and you know the ecosystem around it because you need mercury um, for the process. And so that's one area, the land you know grabbing because of the inadequate land registry and titling process. The second area is the capacity of local governments themselves. Some of these local governments don't have budgets, personnel to really you know hire people and enforce laws, property rights, etc also the issue of social services that i described before so there's kind of like a lack of a lot of the interviewees that we met with say there's lack of state presence there meaning it's not just the physical presence but there's no services uh, for for people and as i mentioned before education water you know just basic services uh, health and then there's a third area of governance which is transparency. Some of these governments, I'm not saying, you know, they, they're they all corrupt, but there's corruption. And that leads to, you know, either looking the other way uh, and letting these bad actors come in or simply getting bribes. Or, you know, there's also impunity, meaning some of these actors are brought to justice, but, you know, it's rarely the case. So those are like three elements that allow these illegal activities to thrive.
0: So one illegal activity we haven't talked about yet, Romina, is illegal logging in the Amazon, which has been widely documented. Can you talk about some of these lesser known, newer illicit activities that you also mentioned in the report, like cocaine trafficking, which doesn't seem like it's a lesser known thing, but is it lesser known in the Amazon?
1: Andrew, cocaine trafficking, Might not be known outside the Amazon. You know, this report also seeks to uh, reach a wider audience outside the Amazon and outside the environmental community. So the question on cocaine trafficking. I don't think a lot of people know, but Brazil is currently the number two consumer of cocaine after US, according to, you know, the UN. And then you have Colombia, Peru, and Bolivia, all Amazonian countries, the main producers of cocaine. So I don't think people really maybe equate, uh, you know, the Amazon with this, but a lot of the cocaine activity happens underneath the the forest cover, which is very concerning. And the other thing is, Andrew, in our report, we have a very interesting map. And again, you know, people in the Amazon know this, they know the vastness of the rainforest, but people maybe in the US or elsewhere don't know, but like the Amazon rainforest is the same size almost as the United States without Alaska and Hawaii. So imagine the sheer uh, geography, uh, in order to provide security, in order to provide economic opportunities, and also to conserve the forest, it's not an easy task.
0: You mentioned the forest cover. So, obviously, it makes it impossible or very difficult for law enforcement, for governments to penetrate cartels and other illicit activities. What are some of the other advantages the Amazon has for illegal traffickers, and other organizations that are into illicit activities?
1: Well, also what is not well known about the Amazon is that it contains 20% of the world's freshwater resources. So a lot of the, you know, rivers are used by these, you know, cartels to transport merchandise. I've even heard they build submarines (laughs) to be undetected. The other thing is that, you know, sometimes a road might be constructed, which is perfectly legal, but they built secondary and tertiary roads um, in order to link their activities into the main road. And then also, you know, you hear about these clandestine airstrips. So those are some ways. And of course, they use, you know, bribes, intimidation, yeah, and all those unfortunate ways of, of getting by. There is demand for these activities. A lot of the interviewees uh, have mentioned that you know, for example, gold. Once you mine the the gold is not an illegal product, but the mining of gold can you know is happening in illegal ways or informal ways. And once you know you mine the gold, it's very easy to sort of clean it through the value chain. Um, you know, so. If I bring you an ounce of gold or whatever, it's very hard for you to tell me, you know, well, where does this gold come from? I'm going to say, well, it's perfectly legal. And so it's easier for gold to sort of go into the mainstream market.
0: So with all of this, I mean, there's an enormous amount of illicit infrastructure being built. And your report points that out. How can the United States and other international donors Support more sustainable infrastructure development that's legal in the Amazon?
1: So, you know, I just want to clarify the infrastructure that has been developed in the Amazon, a lot of the, you know, dams and roads have been legal. But the problem is that when they were constructed, they didn't take into account the communities, the impacts, the environmental impacts, and some have not had, you know, good economic returns. And then you have another set of infrastructure that is being, you know, developed by illegal actors: the secondary roads, the tertiary roads, and whatnot. But going back to your point on how can the U.S. help, I think one thing uh, the U.S. should do is provide constructive ideas and not start accusing these countries that you know they're not doing a, a good job because. I don't think that's going to be very helpful. So, what the U.S. can do is work through their bilateral agencies, agencies such as USAID, uh, which provides grants to these countries. They're doing a great job in Brazil trying to link up private investors uh, to the Amazon so that the Amazon is developed in a sustainable way. So that's one area, uh, USAID, then the DFC, the new uh, development finance corporation that started operations this year, which aims to provide capital and other sources of funding for the private sector of these countries. It can help these countries plan projects in a more sustainable way. Another area, so the bilateral agencies that the U.S. possesses, another is through the work of the multilateral development bank. So the U.S. is the number one shareholder of the World Bank, is the number one shareholder of the Inter-American Development Bank. So through these institutions, the U.S. could be playing a positive role of operationalizing these sustainable infrastructure uh, principles. Another area where the U.S. could play a lever is um, on OECD accession both Peru and Brazil want to become members of the OECD. And maybe it's a pipe dream, but uh, I think that if linking OECD accession to some governance standards for the Amazon uh, might be a carrot or a stick that the U.S. could push for. So those are some, some areas. And then, of course, a third area is, I would say, security cooperation, which the United States has done already. They've provided a lot of training to the military in Brazil, provided technology. I think that's a positive way which the U.S. could help. And the fourth is the private sector. So I think, you know, the U.S. has the largest and most innovative private sector in the world. And in order to develop the Amazon more sustainably, the U.S. could, you know, help form private public partnerships in these countries and bring ideas of more sustainable production and processes to the Amazon.
0: Which of these recommendations do you expect the most pushback
1: to come from? Yeah, so our report has, we didn't call them recommendations per se, but um, maybe some like principles for a more uh, sustainable development of the Amazon. So there are five. One, we say we have to go back to basics of good governance and transparency. So we need to invest in that. The second one, the second principle would be to really reinvest in security forces, training, bring them, you know, good technology, more capacity. Third is to link uh, the security efforts with, you know, economic models that, are going to be based more of like on a living forest economy than just extraction or slashing of and burning of the forest. So tying security with economics. Fourth principle would be to help countries develop a pipeline of sustainable infrastructure projects, which take into account both the economic returns, but the environmental and social impacts. And the fifth would be that, you know, these countries have regional cooperation agreements, agreements, but there's, as I mentioned in the beginning, there's not like a unified vision of what the Amazon should strive for in the future. So we propose, I think this is going to be the most controversial recommendation, appointing, we call it an Amazon SAR. This would be a person that would look into the security and governance and you know, environmental issues through a whole of government approach, a multidimensional approach, And, you know, sort of like, I wouldn't say the UN envoy, but somebody that is respected across countries and that is not has um, other interests besides, you know, the sustainability of the basin. So I think this fifth recommendation might get a little bit of pushback and probably you know, improving security forces, because there's kind of fear that police and the military might play a negative role in the Amazon from the country's uh, histories, but it's it's needed. You know, you need better equipped and more professionalized security forces.
0: It would be a pretty interesting and exotic job to be the Amazon czar. <laughs> I, I think that might have yes. to be you, Romina. <laughs>
1: <laughs> or Serena. you know. Yeah, there yeah. you go. So we need to be, you know, more gender sensitive. So, yeah, I think it would be a very tough job, to be honest. Then again, I mean, we might get pushback, but uh, we're a think tank and we try to gather good ideas and constructive ideas. And when we did these three case studies, we not only conducted a huge literature review, but we Conducted about a hundred interviews in these three countries, and then consulted policymakers in DC. And some some of these ideas that are in the report are based on consensus and and what people that have a lot of expertise have told us that would be good ideas. And we try to provide the best ideas in the report.
0: Well, Ramina, this is fascinating. You can find the report, listeners, at csis.org. It is again sustainable infrastructure in the Amazon. Romina, thank you for helping us get to the truth of the matter on these critical issues that uh, really affect all of us.
1: Well, thank you, Andrew and your team. It's been a pleasure. And I want to thank the Moore Foundation for their support for this project on behalf of CSIS and the Project on Prosperity and Development. So thank you very much.